podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Hello, welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Whee! Surprisingly upbeat for three defeats in a row. Uh, but yes, this is Pod 407, uh, and we'll be discussing Palace's 1 0 defeat at Man United uh, with Grace Matheson. Grace, how are you doing? Hi, yep, yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for having me, as always. Thanks for coming on. Uh, you went to the game at the weekend, uh, and I don't want to cast blame or anything, <laughs> but you were telling us off air that your record at Old Trafford, actually, Manchester in general, uh, is is not the best. Yes, yeah, so we tend to pick either Old Trafford or the Etihad each season and have an uncanny knack for picking exactly the wrong one every single season. So we've missed all. If it's been a cracker, we weren't there. And if it's been a terrible game or we've lost, then we probably were there. So <laughs> maybe next year we'll just stay away for everyone's benefit. Yeah. Yeah, I would never tell you to stay away from a Palace game, but, um, you know, the facts are the facts, basically. Um, Dom Fifield's also here. Hello, Dom. How are you doing? Hey, Jim. Not too bad. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Good to have you on the main pod. Uh, so thanks for, you know, stepping up for the first team, essentially. Don't tell Selzy that. They'll get very, very hurt. <laughs> it's two first teams. It's two first teams alongside each other. It's got a weird. Game, it's a squad game, game exactly. Uh, <laughs> and speaking of squad game, uh, we're one of our first team regulars now. Uh, it's Jack Pierce. Hello to you. How are you doing? Hi, hi, JD. I mean, Grace's comment there has got me thinking whether the club wants to consider a loyalty point scheme to keep people away from certain pictures <laughs> if they have a bad habit. So, um, I'm, I'm, Steve, if you're listening, I'm willing to talk. Um, I think we have an idea here. I think points for people uh, staying away might be, might be a goer. I would be racking up so many points this season if that was the case. But I am going on Sunday, and we'll be previewing that, of course, at the end of the podcast. Uh, before we get on to that 1-0 defeat at Old Trafford, uh, can I get a drum roll for a, a random patron, please? It's Mr. Ed Lonsdale. Hello, Ed. Hello. Hello, Ed. Ed. Uh, welcome, Ed. Welcome, Ed, indeed. And you can join our patron at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast and get loads of bonuses, uh, post-match podcasts, patron-only merchandise, and access to the patron-only Discord club. Uh, now, patrons, all patrons get an immediate 20% off our line of merchandise at podcastmerch.co.uk forward slash FYP hyphen podcast. But anyone can buy merchandise. And in fact, at the moment, we've got a couple of giveaways leading up to Christmas. 
So we got a tweet that's gone out already today. Um, it's a giveaway retweet like kind of thing uh, for a mug and a t-shirt. So get involved in that. And one person will get the mug, one will get the t-shirt. And we've also reduced our Hillsborough Heroes t-shirts worn by the one and only Danny Butterfield, our live podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, with 20% off. So they've immediately got 20% off for everybody at the moment. So do go and check those out. Uh, would be a very good Christmas present uh, for the Palace fan in your life. Could be you. Um, at podcastmerch.co.uk forward slash FYP hyphen podcast. We're all also, this week, uh, from Thursday to Sunday, we've got a silent auction going for some signed Vicente Guaita gloves, hoping to raise as much money as possible for the Palace Disabled Supporters Association. Details on that will be going out today on our Twitter, so keep an eye out for it. But if you fancy getting some signed Guaita gloves, again, another fantastic potential Christmas present, uh, then do get involved in our silent auction, which will run at the end of this week, uh, and people will be asking people to, to bid uh, via email, which is contact at fypfanzine.uk. But keep an eye out for those details, uh, and please do get involved. Right. One nil defeat at Old Trafford. Let's go to the person who was there at the time, uh, Grace. It was um, it, a frustrating way to, to lose the game. Typical Palestine is a goal from a player that never scores a goal. But it wasn't the best of games in general, really, was it, from either side? It, um, yeah, it wasn't the best. Well, obviously, we know that for a fact because you were there. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't wasn't the, a game full of, of quality. Um, United were on top for the first sort of 15 or 20 minutes or so, and it felt like we were firefighting. Lots of corners, and given our record from set pieces, um, sort of was anticipating them scoring early but we managed to sort of weather that storm and it, it felt like we'd grown into it and gave quite a good account of ourselves defensively um, which is why it was frustrating to concede the goal late on I think it was the 78th minute and from Fred of all people probably wouldn't have been the top of anyone's um, likely scorers list but that that always seems to be the way um, but yeah it was, it was a bit of a funny one it wasn't a great performance from us or them um, so it still felt a little bit hard done by walking away with nothing because I'm, I don't think they were particularly special or worthy of the three points. They just managed to find that one, one sort of flash that changed the game, which could have been ours if IU had put the ball in the back of the net not much earlier. Um, it's just those fine margins and it was one of those, those games. It's funny you say that. We have got quite a few questions about Jordan IU, which we'll come on to um, in a minute. We do... The point about the corners is interesting as well. We've got a question here from PC Wires. Hello, PC, one of our regulars. Hello, PC. Um, who says, well, we didn't concede from bad marking at a set piece this time. Is that a positive we can take? And I, I, I guess in a way it kind of is, Jack. Um, because actually going into this game, I was thinking, obviously, three defeats on the bounce. But I was thinking it's the sort of game where, yes, they had a new manager. And obviously that's always going to make the fans and the stadium sort of be a bit sort of louder than normal. But it's the sort of game where really... I was reminded of Stephen Gerrard at Villa when he, he came in and said, I'm just going to go back to basics and try and get a clean sheet and go from there. And it almost feels like a time now where Palace need to go back to basics a bit. And and, and we were so close to a clean sheet. So, yeah. So, okay, is PC right? Is that is that a positive we can take? It is, yeah. Um, I think defensively we were quite sound. I, I think, first and foremost, we, we just have to applaud uh, UJD for actually mentioning Crystal Palace playing on Sunday because as far as I was concerned, <laughs> with the media hullabaloo, it was just a... Uh, a Manchester United training match, according to, to everything that I saw and watched and read. But um, I, yeah, I felt our defensive performance was, was was pretty pretty good actually, and that includes some set pieces, which was pleasing. And then we've lost to a, a pretty good goal, um, and really the the kind of three minutes of the game where it could have gone one way or the other, we've missed a fairly good opportunity, and they've taken 
it's probably best described as a half chance and, and it's a good finish by a player who ordinarily doesn't do that. So on another day, we'd probably walk away with a nil-nil, which would be a really good result from Old Trafford. Um, but going back to the basics is, and I, I touched on this last week on the pod, I felt it was it was time to go back to basics and you know we had to defend set pieces better and I think we did that, but we also have to take guilt-edged chances and I think I use chance, although harder than I first anticipated when I first saw it, that we should end up scoring there. That's a really good opportunity and, and if, even if he crosses it back across the box and someone taps it in or he hits the target himself and it, and it goes in, you know, that's an opportunity you don't get many of at a, at a ground like Old Trafford. So, yeah, disappointing to not get anything out of it, but the performance was was good in parts and I think Vieira and his coaching staff will take some of the positives away from the fixture you know, into what's a busy rest of December. Well, and a big and a bit now a big game uh, on Sunday as well. We have, we got questions about IU. I'll come on to a minute, but actually we are talking about Dom set pieces and defence. We had quite an interesting question here from Joe Oz ninety four. Hello, Joe. Joe, Mister ninety four, who says uh, I read on Twitter. So obviously, always always a good start. Um, <laughs> That in terms of goals conceded, Palace have the second best XG in the league. Another game, in addition to Leeds, where the opposition didn't create any real, real click-up chances and yet have been done by either a decent effort or a set piece. Despite a run of three defeats, I'm still convinced, though a higher press, that this Palace team is a better defensive unit than they were under Roy Hodgson. Do you agree? What do you make of that, Dom? That's, that was doing the, the round a few weeks ago. I'm not, I don't know whether it still applies... Post Villa, um, I, I genuinely don't know whether whether that's still um, X goals against. Is it called? Oh God, I hate these things. I genuinely don't. I'm perplexed <laughs> by them, to be honest. Um, if you're comparing us to last season under Roy Hodgson, then, then yes, I think we probably are more defensively solid. I, I don't think that's fair necessarily from earlier in. In Roy's tenure, though, where where we probably had a slightly well, we did have a slightly younger back line, and we had players like when Mamadou Sako was fit, when James Tonkins was was fit and on form, with Gary Cahill and, and Scott Dan. I, I'm, I'm not sure that that would be a, a, a fair comparison there. I, I mean, and I'm also slightly reluctant to to throw back those comparisons because as we as we've made the point many times on this podcast, when probably time just to move on now a bit yeah, yeah. from from the Roy Hodgson era and and to, we have a completely new team now the the problem we've got at the moment appears to be we're not quite right at either end when we we are we are profligate too often and I'm thinking of Benteke missing an open goal at Leeds I'm thinking of Ayu's miss at Old Trafford although uh, actually I have no idea whether that would have been flagged for offside it looks suspiciously close um, and you know the games where we were well, we've had a bit of, bit of disruption at the back um, we've obviously lost Joachim Anderson and Tompkins hasn't done badly since he's come in at all but it's a different type of player um, and we lost Wardy at the weekend and, and that client obviously took a while to adjust into the tempo and rhythm of the of the game but that that disruption in midfield as well when you when you in the absence of James MacArthur um, that it seems to sort of put a spanner in the works and the whole machine isn't functioning quite as well as it was um which is understandable but it's also 
probably a bit of a reality check given what we were all thinking post-Wolves. It shows that if you mm-hmm. if you lose a 34-year-old midfielder and one of your centre-halves that we're actually a bit thin on the ground and it's it maybe doesn't run as quite as smoothly as it should. Um, so this whole period is is testing and, and it's it's testing because the coaching staff and the management are also as we as we've made the point earlier, they're also new to this at this level at, in the Premier League. I mean Vieira's great career as a player and he's experienced top flight football management with, with Nice, but in the Premier League, which I suspect is more brutal um unforgiving the, the slightest downturn on the pitch in terms of how it all functions and the rhythm of it all probably affects confidence and then that that compounds it all and the results start going against you and then it poses a whole new set of problems his coaching staff is very inexperienced as well at this level they, they they're learning on the hoof really they're learning how to deal with with setbacks at premier league level and it's it's an eye-opening period and it's an opening period with a, with three very very critical games ahead, um, and that's probably what we need to see evidence of this weekend is is improvements at both ends of the pitch and and how we function in midfield. So everywhere yeah. really. So, <laughs> so basically, just goalkeepers fine. <laughs> Everywhere yeah. else needs. Uh, uh, well, we know we know midfield is a big area for us. We said that earlier in 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 the in the season, and it's uh, it's critical for us really. And Macus obviously being a big miss. I do think, but just going back to Joe's point when he was talking about Roy Hodgson, it's interesting. Uh, you were talking there, Dom, about the different. There's been so many different phases of Roy the Roy Hodgson yeah. era that actually it is difficult to pinpoint one. I assume Joe was talking about the most the most recent one, telling the last season. But actually, there's been so many different times of Roy. Um, and you're absolutely right that he's had different squads and, and, and different, you know, things to deal with. Um, let's talk about the IU miss then, uh, Grace, because that has obviously come up quite a lot. Um, Jack, CPFC, one of our patrons, uh, has said, uh, was IU's chance a shot or a cross? I've watched it numerous times. I genuinely can't work out. Um, and then, so I'll, I'll throw you that one. And then to add on to that, because it's funny with IU, he... I think he's I think he's a good player. He works very hard. You know what you're going to get. But any time... He's not a prolific striker. We know that his record is, you know, no goals in the last 45 or something. So any time he misses a, a, a big opportunity, it gives people the opportunity to throw up the, well, why is he starting? Including Malk's marathon journey. Good luck with your marathon, Malk. Um, how is Ayu starting over Elise? But you can see... And again, I don't think Ayu was that bad at the weekend. You can see why he gets picked in this team. But as Dom said earlier, that margins are so fine. We do also need players to put away or cross to a teammate chances like that. So it's a, it's a difficult one for, for, for Vieira and are you? It is. And that's, that's why it's frustrating games like at Old Trafford where he, he did work really hard, but at this level and in those sort of games, that alone is not enough. And chances like that, you need to be getting on target. And I mean, we, we're just waiting for the ball um, to hit the back of the net. We really, from the angle we were at, it really looked like it was going in and maybe it would have been offside the way our luck was going. I'm sure it probably would have been. Um, but it it is just frustrating because you feel like his performance merits a goal or an assist yeah. or a bit more than what he's getting. Um, but yeah, at some point you have to say, well, you're a striker, you're not scoring goals, you're not getting the assists, maybe it is time to try something else. Um, I'm not sure Elise for the full 90 or starting at Old Trafford would have been quite a, 
a baptism of fire for him and would have been would have been a lot um even for the most experienced of players at Old Trafford I mean Wilf Wilf didn't have a good game at all um at the weekend which is obviously not what we're used to but I mean yeah I frustrating and he he needs to start taking those chances otherwise his his place in the team has to be at risk really Actually, as you're talking there, I'll come back to you later. I'll pose you this question to everyone. Has there been anyone more frustrating than Jordan Ayew in recent years? Because I actually try and wrap possibly, maybe oh, Max Meyer for different reasons, I guess. But but Ayew is an incredibly frustrating player because we saw a couple of years ago how good he can be. And actually, he's a very skillful player. And when he is on a run of being prolific in front of goal, I mean, that goal against West Ham at the end of whenever it was, 2019, 2018, one of the best goals I've ever seen live at Sellers, and yet he's on a run at the moment that is incredibly frustrating, especially when you do add in the fact that he does work very hard. In fact, Jack, I'll pose you this question from Adam, Ad, Adam Sinski. Hello, Adam. Hello, Adam. Hello, Adam. He says, do you think the criticism of IU seems to have a much larger negative skew versus others? Yes, he missed a chance at the weekend, but Benteke, Benteke missed an easy one at Leeds. Gallagher has missed plenty for his incredible endeavours. I personally think this, he's a great option and never hides, so let's get behind him like we have Big Ben, Wardy, and others who have had tough times. He's right, he doesn't hide. IU does not hide. He always shows for the ball, and I think that's, for me, the biggest uh, plus point for uh, for Jordan being in the team is that he always comes looking and, and gives us an outlet from that right-hand side. Um, and even with his lack of confidence in front of goal at the moment, he's still doing that, and his skill on the ball um, up until the, the kind of vital moment is still very good, um, I think. I, I think his performance at Leeds was very good, and there were elements of his game on Sunday which I thought were, were really good, and we also know what he does going the other way. But that said, when you are playing a front three and one of them just does not look like scoring at all, questions do need to be asked. Um, However, I think Wilf's had three bang average games in eight days and he's not getting the type of heat that, that Jordan's getting and the uh, obvious reasons Wilf is an absolute club legend, many people's best ever player in, in red and blue and I get that, but I don't think any of the front three had a particularly great game on, on Sunday. So, if, if I don't know. The thing is with that chart, as, you know, as the point was just made, the, the more glaring the misses, the more glaring the kind of analysis of are you as a first team player gets and, and it's a tough one but if he wasn't showing anything for the team it would be a, it would be a no-brainer but clearly Vieira thinks that there's enough in his game even with the struggles in front of goal for him to be included but you know as we touched on various points during the season so far the options we have in, in terms of front three selection mean that he's not a, a dead cert to start every week and maybe against Everton um, particularly if Everton play uh, Ben Godfrey at left back which they did last night um, you you haven't got to kind of counter the threat of Luca Dina down the left hand side, so maybe a more attacking uh, choice for Palace on the right hand side is is more likely, given that Godfrey's not especially great going forward. Cue him now scoring a thirty five thunder thirty five yard thunderbolt <laughs> on Sunday. But I, I just think if 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 Everton stick to a um, the the team that played last night, or certainly stick to Godfrey playing at left back, um, it might influence Vieira's decision in terms of whether Jordan starts on. On, uh, on Sunday afternoon or not but it's, it's just a tricky one for Jordan because clearly when you are missing the type of chances that he's missing the, the heat is going to get hotter and that's, that's just the, the bare truth of it um, Dom if I can sort of open it out slightly um, 
We had Malk's question earlier about Elise. I know a lot of people are asking the Elise question. I, I, I tend to agree with Grace. I don't, I don't think he's quite ready yet to be that replace, starting replacement. And you can see that Vieira is sort of drip-feeding him into the team. He's only 19, so it's going to take a while to sort of settle in life in the top flight. We had a question from Elutius, Elutus Fifield. So I don't know if you've been sending us questions under a pseudonym or something <laughs> pre-pod. Um, but Elutius um, also wants to know why Elise isn't starting and would it put pressure on IU to improve performances? And if I could throw you another spanner, we've had a question here from someone whose name is, ha, this is on Instagram, ha 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 shut up, um, which is uh, a limiting name, I'll be honest, when you want to open up Discord, um, who says, um, Vieira doesn't know how to use Edward. So we're talking about the front three, we might as well talk about the guy on the other side as well. Um, on... On Elise, and it's same with Eze, really. I think they're uh, for different reasons, but I think yes, you're right. I think he's, I think he's, he is taking the cautious route in terms of introducing him to Premier League football, and, and in Eze's case, back to Premier League football after a long injury. Um, home fixtures where we should have more of the ball um, would be a more appealing option um, on that right hand side. One of Palace's main tactics this season, particularly in away games. And one of the reasons that Gallagher was so effective early on, and this isn't my analysis, this is... Uh, uh, remember Danny Hickenbottom, who, who scored that goal against How us? He's never forgiven. Yeah, there you go. He's um, he's doing analysis now for NBC over in the States with Rebecca Lowe, a Palace fan. And um, he's, he's he's a really, really good lad. And he, and he, was, he, he was talking about the, the role that Gallagher has in the team. Um, and Gallagher was exploiting space that was created by Ayu. Ayu, when he has yeah. the ball, he well, when he sorry when he's on the pitch, he he hugs that touchline, and he he occupies a, the opposing left back, and that creates a pocket inside him which Gallagher was running into when when the whole thing was working well when MacArthur was on on the ball on the other side of the pitch, etc. If you play Eze, sorry, if you play Elise there, his instinct is to cut back onto his left foot, so he automatically comes back into that space, so Gallagher then doesn't become yeah. quite as effective, and he, he hasn't got anywhere to run. So I said, all of these things are all factors that that Vieira will be looking at. And, okay, RU isn't creating chances, or creating goals for opponents. He's certainly not, sorry, creating goals for Palace, and he's certainly not scoring them. But he did, that was a selfless role that he was playing in the team. Um, and Gallagher was then running riot in quite a lot of games. And we were, we were talking about how wonderful he was and maybe not acknowledging the role that his teammates were playing and giving him that, that space to exploit. Um, and I think you'd lose that with Elisa. You'd probably gain other things. I do think we, although Tyrek Mitchell took some very nice corners, um, you, want, you want somebody with a better dead ball delivery. And I think Elise probably will be that man ultimately for Palace. And I'd like to see him start on Sunday just to, yeah, to occupy Godfrey and to, to give Everton um, something else to think about with Edward. I think, I think Vieira does know how best to use him, but the, the problem is that Benteke has actually been doing quite well. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think we're, we're only ever going to play one central striker. We're not going to play two up. Um, Edward has, has shown a, a willingness and an ability to play off the left in some games. Maybe not, it's not his most natural position. Maybe he feels he could offer more in the centre, but the, the reality is that we're not 
exactly slipping passes through back lines at the moment for him to run onto. There's been precious little space for us to use um, behind behind opposing back lines. So I, I, I half wonder whether it becomes a straight choice between Edouard and Elise to play in one of those wide positions with Wilf and, and Benteke on Sunday. Um, you'd want Benteke occupying Everton's centre-halves. I personally would want Elise to start the game and then Zaha operating on the other side. So maybe that's the first choice, but if not, then it will be Edouard on the left and, and Zaha on the right and Elisa to come off the bench. But it's, it's on the one hand, it's great that we've got all these options. We've not had them in previous seasons, certainly not last year. On the other, it does muddy the water somewhat. And it's, it's asking a lot of the coach to, to pick the right ones for the right games and comes back to that. Some of those decisions won't be right. Um, you just got to hope that he reacts swiftly within games to, you know, get the balance better during matches. I, I think that has possibly been a bit of a failing in the last few matches. It was very late on in the day at Old Trafford when we made the attacking changes. But he's learning, as I say, that everybody's learning and we're, we're all trying to adapt to having more options at our disposal. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I think the Edward thing is interesting. I think... A lot of players maybe might not be so willing to play slightly out of position and give a go for the team. And he has done well. And as he said on previous pods, almost a victim of his own success in that Arsenal game that he did so well uh, that he's proved he can play out there. So, you know, fair enough. It would be very interesting to see who plays at the weekend. And we will, of course, come on to that uh, in part five. Uh, but for now, a quick break. And when we come back, winners and losers. It's the holiday season, so if you're looking for the perfect Christmas gift for the hairy guy in your life, look no further than Manscaped, the leader in men's below-the-waist grooming, who have served more than 4 million men worldwide, which, like Joshi Manson playing out of defence, is a lot of smooth balls. And you can get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code FYP. Jack, you've been sent the latest bundle from Manscaped, and <laughs> pardon the pun, but it is an impressive package, isn't it? Very good package. Very high quality uh, stuff, and uh, yeah, you, uh, lots of uh, lots of options for you to uh, to look at and and analyse before you make the final decision as to to what you're going to do. But the the best part of the box for me was the nose and ear trimmer, um, which uh, having entered my thirties now, I, I understand I require. Um, so very grateful that was that was of it. But again, very high quality, and um, yeah, being being put to use uh, suitably. <laughs> Fantastic. Manscaped's best-selling product is the Performance Package 4.0, and inside you'll find their Lawn Mower Body Trimmer and Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer. It also includes the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner to maximise your hygiene routine. The Performance Package also comes with two free gifts, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Now, these are our picks for Manscaped's surefire win stocking stuffers. Number one, number one, the Manscaped Signature Cologne. Number two, Shears 2.0 Luxury 4-Piece Nail Kit. Number three, Crop Mops Ball Wipes. Number four, Crop Reviver Ball Toner and Refresher. Small enough to fit in a stocking and big enough to change a man's life. These formulations are all vegan, cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free and paraben-free, so you know their products are legit. Make sure you hurry to their site to ensure these wild gifts show up before Christmas and while you're at it, get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code FYP. Whether it's for your partner, your dad, your brother or friend, get them something they will actually use. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code FYP. Be the ballsiest gift giver this year with Manscaped. 
Welcome back to the 5 Plan Podcast. It's part two. It's time for winners and losers. Of course, this is a patron-only section, so if you're listening on the main feed, you'll hear a clip from our uh, post-match pod from the weekend with uh, Rob and Selzy. Uh, and if you want to hear our winners and losers, you can sign up to Patreon at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. The cheapest here is just £2.50 a month. Uh, so please do get involved. Um, right, let's make that split from the patrons and our legacy fans. Uh, now... <laughs> I think that I think the thing is that there there is so for as far as Man U concerned there is mitigation and it's the fact that they had a new manager in charge you've got that old traffic crowd getting on getting on players backs a little bit and it happened I think Kiate as you said experienced that that pressure that vocal pressure as he was as he was being uh, being pressured by by Man U's players and and they they kind of reacted to that and it did make it a bit more intense in terms of what we were doing in possession but as you say the biggest problem i think is and and this is i think the the massive massive thing that we're missing at the moment is there's a real disconnect between the midfield kind of defensive unit and gallagher where in in the past when when macarthur was fit macarthur would be the person to to give the ball to Gallagher. MacArthur would be the person to, again, to break through the lines and take the ball and just drive it forward a bit. And Kiate just can't do that. And so they've obviously decided, uh, Vieira and Oishan Roberts have decided that that perhaps Schlupp is the answer to that situation. And it's just not. I think Jeffrey Schlupp was a passenger for pretty much the entire game. I, I like Jeffrey Schlupp a lot. I th- we know what he's capable of doing, but today he was so slow to react to danger, to, to, to difficult kind of situations where Man U players were, were pressing with, you know, pushing forward. He just wouldn't be, he wasn't the man that was supposed to be chasing opponents. You know, the, the MacArthur we miss is the MacArthur who's harassing other players with the ball and constantly trying to make things difficult. And, and I think, Schlupp really wasn't that player today. And then the the thing that's really difficult is we defended so well, I thought, throughout the match and made such a made 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 it really difficult for all of Man U's players to kind of find their way through those defensive lines. But the one moment, that moment where Fred ends up picking the ball up, you see Kiate and Schlupp both pretty much stood next to each other, realizing, oh uh, shit, that's our man. Like one of us should have gone to him, and by that stage it's already too late, and he's hit the ball, and it's it's gone in the net. But it just feels, I think the midfield is such a big problem at the moment because the 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 creativity isn't there, the drive through the middle isn't there, the ability to kind of absorb pressure isn't there, the players who to take the ball off defenders isn't there. You know, it's it's just it's almost like the thing that that we ended up realizing late in the first half was the best way to get past Man U was to bypass the midfield entirely and we ended up going a lot more direct and Benteke ended up being the kind of pinpoint for that and even that wasn't really effective but it just goes to show how important having MacArthur in the team was and at the moment they're really struggling to find the answer to that conundrum and whether you know I don't think, I think we've now tried out Schlupp. We've tried out the combo of uh, Luca and Kiate. It's going to have to be someone else now because I don't think that midfield was working at all today. 
Um, no, I think I think we've struggled to find that. And if I'm honest, I don't know the answer. I don't have a really definite view to say to you, oh, we should definitely do this, or we should definitely do that. I'm now thinking, do we chance our arm and play Eze in there in the next game, or Michael yeah. Elise even, or whatever it might be? Well, you know, I, I'm thinking of lots of different things tonight, I have to say. The thing I'm I don't not... understand, Adam, is why Why after you've had... You gave Will Hughes 10 minutes against Leeds and he had a little bit of bite about him and he almost you almost got a sense of a little bit of the MacArthur's about him. Maybe not the kind of passing quality or, or whatever, but you got a sense of that. And then instead, we ended up just persisting with this kind of... With with a midfield that just didn't it didn't really work that well against Leeds. So then you end up in this scenario where it's like, well, the thing that didn't work very well against Leeds, why are we doing that against Man U, who are who who are supposed to be a better team? It just it it's to me it just seems frustrating. I'm I'm one of those people, as you know, last season who kept saying, well, why aren't we playing Mateta? But I do feel <laughs> in the case of Will Hughes, you can't. It, it just feels just so odd that 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 we've tried every combination but not the will hughes one where he is the player to take macarthur's role in that side when he was supposed to be the player to replace macarthur in long term supposedly that to Mm. me just seems that there just seems to be a disconnect there that to me seems like something that it's the most obvious thing that you try because he is a specialist central midfielder whereas schlup you can't say that he is you can't say that Schlupp was a, is a specialist central midfielder. Technically, you could argue that after a whole season of playing at centre-back, Chiate really isn't a specialist central midfielder either. It is just one of those things. It's, I, I, it just feels like we're trying to put you know square square pegs into round holes when we've got a square peg sitting on the bench. Uh, sorry, a round, a round peg sitting on the bench who could actually fit into that round hole. I just, it, it, it just doesn't make sense to oh, me. I can, I can understand that. I think... I don't know, you know, what Will Hughes is showing them each day and so on, but they they seem to have been reluctant to use him. I mean, I actually thought Jeffrey Schlupp could easily be a central midfield player and do very well in there, um, but that hasn't really. He, he's not. I thought he he was all right in the first half against Leeds the other night, but sort of faded and you know didn't do enough again to make me say, yeah, you know. You, you're the man. You're the answer, and and um, and I think that um, um, the the Cheku Kuyati situation is a is a conundrum. You know, Luca was widely criticised last week after the game against Aston Villa, and rightly so. But I said to you last week, playing Czech as a number eight in front of him, if you like, doesn't help. Luca, either do you know what I mean? It doesn't. It doesn't help. Luca today would have been much better on the ball than Czech when he receives it. But yeah. Czech does very well when the other opposition have got the ball. You know, mm. better than anybody else. So these are all conundrums for the manager or the coach to to resolve. Now, the bit that slightly concerns me, and uh, as Dutch James has rightly said a couple of times that, you know, I'm probably a bit cautious or raining on his parade or whatever. Unfortunately, 
I allowed myself after the Wolves game to say, oh, maybe I'm being a bit too cautious and maybe I should, you know, say that, you know, we look very good. And I, I did feel at that point we'd hit a sort of level of consistency um, and that we were, you know, going places and I felt really, really happy and pleased with what was going on. But now, you know, having come out relatively unscathed from those sort of fixtures and thinking what a hard start now. Tough it all was. Now, you know, we had Burnley, we had Leeds, we had Aston Villa, we had a poor Man United team in the pack, you know, Watford coming up, Southampton, Everton. Oh, you know, great chances to pick up a lot of points. And, you know, I, I've got to tell you, without saying it out loud, and I'm embarrassed that I even was naive enough to think it, you know, that after the Wolves game, I'm thinking we could be pretty much safe, clear of relegation by New Year's Day. Mm. You know, we'd be in a, a really good situation to kick on. Right now, I'm slightly concerned about where the next win is coming from. And if we come out of the next three games without a victory, what are we going to do? Because Neil Warnock got sacked for winning three games out of 18. Yeah. You know, it's, and, it's, and, and again, think... if I'm being negative, I would say we won three games and two of them were against 10 men. And obviously that played a part. But I would also say being positive, they were against Tottenham and against Manchester City, yeah. you know. And so I feel not... Um, not totally downcast about the whole thing, but I think there's a little bit of a naivety in some way about us, and I can't quite put my finger on it. But then I look at the bench and the staff that that Patrick Vieira has assembled, and apart from our goalkeeping coach, who's vastly experienced at Premier League and international level, the rest of the staff, you know, are not. Premier League experience, you know. Mm. And one one thing I would say, and I know everyone will tell you that I'm pro Roy and all that sort of stuff, even though I've never met the bloke. Um, I've got to tell you that in these situations, I always thought he'll find a way and make sure we eke out a few points, you know, one way or another. At the moment, I'm not overly confident in that sense. Despite the fact, you know, we've got a really good squad of group of players, I think, you know, compared to to where we've been, you know. And, you know, I think we are one point or two points worse off than we were at this stage last season with a vastly improved squad. But So uh, also, I, I don't know what I to think make of it. Probably against... Lesser uh, after playing lesser opposition, we we had the hardest yeah. start. We had the roughest start in the league. I agree. The, the, the key but we've thing also is got a much better group of players. Yeah, and we've definitely not built on those performances because the there there have been some games, the Leeds game, for example, where we, and and arguably the Villa match as well, where we should have built. We should have, we should have done better, and there have been points that have been dropped far too often now. <laughs> And on that positive note, uh, <laughs> let's wrap up. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, not, no, no one's saying that. No one's no one's saying that. that. It's, well, it's just it's just something to consider, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Let, well, let's, Dom, it's let's, where let, we're at. Let's not tease. Well, let's bring back in the public. Uh, the public people listening now. No, let's, hey. let's keep it. Let's keep it quiet. Let's keep it quiet. Let's keep it under. Wraps. If you want to hear what we were just talking about, <laughs> <laughs> what bombshell we're talking about, sign up to the patron. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash FYP. Um, I can't believe podcast. you took your trousers off again. <laughs> yeah, jeez. That was not. It didn't even let's happen. Keep Do you know them what? On. I'm, I'm just not going to reference it. Actually, I'm just going to uh, pretend it's a gig and get security to chuck can, you out. Can you keep your camera um, off for future weeks, please? This is just too much. Unbelievable! <laughs> unbelievable! Right, join just me uh, in part three. Um, Grace what, hasn't done me wrong. What we do? Sorry, yeah, Grace. Just me and Grace. Just the adults in the room. Um, hey. What we got off the break? Um, the athletic, right? The athletic after this. It's nearly Christmas, and that always brings the busy, festive football period. So what better way to unwind than with 10 free beers from Beer 52? And much like Palace offering up the goods earlier this season, so are Beer 52. They are offering FYP listeners two extra free beers on top of the usual eight. So that's, quick maths, JD, 10 free beers in total. Just go to beer52.com slash FYP. That's the word beer, numbers 52.com slash FYP. And all you have to do is cover the postage costs of £5.95. And do it before the 17th of December to get those extra two free beers. Jack, you're a Beer 52 fan, I believe. I am. Uh, I, I got sent a few very nicely, but I'm also still uh, still a member. I, 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 I like the beers they send through, and it's nice to have a bit of variety. It makes a difference from what's available from the supermarket. So, um, yeah, uh, nice, nice variety, uh, good choice. I uh, have the light option only. Um, Stouts have their place for me, but um, I, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan. So I, I make the option of the flexibility, which again is really nice. And there's also flexibility in, in terms of how regularly you receive the box. Um, so yeah, when, uh, when the delivery man drops them off, I'm very happy to take them in. Each month, Beer 52 send experts around the globe to find the best beer available anywhere on planet Earth. Each month, their members receive a new case, usually from a different part of the world. Members have had beer from more than 40 countries across five continents. So treat yourself this Christmas. You can impress your friends, family and dinner guests with a cast of hoppy IPAs, crisp craft lagers and sumptuous stouts. And as Jack says, if dark beer is not your thing, you can simply choose the light option. And as well as the delicious beer, you'll receive Ferment Magazine, which delves into the beers, breweries and themes and you'll also get two delicious snacks to wash down with your beer. After redeeming your first case, you will join the monthly club at £24 a month, but there's no minimum commitment. And like Lucian Favre this summer, you're free to change your mind and pause or cancel at any time. Go to www.beer52.com forward slash FYP and pay the £5.95 postage. And do that before 17th of December to get those extra two free beers. Welcome back to the Five Pan Podcast. Whee! Whee! It's an athletic week where we read an article from The Athletic, bringing you every football story that matters. The Athletic is home to the best collection of football reporters, storytellers and analysis in the world. From breaking club news and exclusive interviews to brilliant features and tactical analysis, The Athletic is football news you can trust and football writing you can feel. Uh, and you can get all access to exclusive stories ad-free. If you go to theathletic.com forward slash FYP, that's theathletic.com slash FYP for 50% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. That's just £30 a year for sports journalism that brings you closer to the action uh and speaking of the action uh this week we've got that's a terrible link that makes no sense um this week we've got a really nice article uh dom from yourself with palace legend 
I'm going to say. Uh, Scott Dan, who obviously moved on in the summer, is now playing for Reading. Uh, the article is called Scott Dan, Clubs Never Leave You. My son calls the pitch in our garden Crystal Palace, which is a lovely title and does give you a little hint, actually, at the sort of um, the sort of content that's involved in this article. It's a very it's a lovely sort of trip down memory lane and a lot of nostalgia, but it's a very um, heartwarming piece, really, isn't it? Because clearly, and I'm going to read a few bits uh, in a minute, but clearly Scott has a lot of love still for Palace. So just tell us quickly what it was like chatting to him and... Um, that that love for the club that came across from him. He wanted to do this because he didn't get a chance to say goodbye. He um, wasn't around for the Arsenal game at the end of last season. He might he might have been on the pitch possibly at the end, but he wasn't fit to to, to play. Um, and and I think that's actually a bit of a common theme with all those players that left in the summer. That you know their last season at the club was played behind closed doors essentially. So for the ones that have been there for any length of time, I think they, a lot of them did want to say goodbye and thank you to, to the supporters. And this was, this was his attempt to do that. And I think the other thing is we, we probably take him a bit for granted. I mean, he was here an awfully long time, seven and a half years at the club. I got a nice message from, from Mark Bright on the back of this saying, I didn't realize he was there for that length of time. Actually, he was there longer than me said Brighty. Um, and that, that, that is, he sort of spanned our well, he, yeah. But other than the half half year at the start, um, under sort of the tail end of the Holloway year and the start of Tony Pulis, he he was a permanent fixture at the club throughout our Premier League stint. Um, and he was you know, when he was fit and firing, he was he was a mainstay of the team. And he you know he came close to earning an England call up whilst playing for Crystal Palace at centre half. You know, a bloke who was a bit of a journeyman defender when he came in with you know a bit of experience at top flight level but he, you know he played 164 top flight games for us and that that's good going and if it hadn't been for the um, for the knee injury picked up against city on new year's eve back in 2017 i think he probably would have been a mainstay of of hodgson's team um so we shouldn't really taint his time with um at the club with with memories of the last few seasons when he was a bit in and out and you know age age did maybe catch up with him a bit and the injuries certainly did catch up with him i think he's always someone that's that's really cared for for the club and and appreciates what palace did for him really as well and establishing his reputation and and I think there was also an element of he knows that supporters photographed him at Stamford Bridge on that opening day when he was sat in the, yeah. in the stand with his son um, and his son was in a Chelsea kit because his son was attending a, a birthday party uh, with a school friend and they live in Cobham. These guys, Scott, the Dans live in Cobham and Cobham is where Chelsea are based and everybody around there supports, Palace, uh, supports Chelsea pretty much. I should really move to Cobham. Um <laughs> Um, <laughs> You've done your own punchline there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just start getting rid of your sales. You're done. Um, and so he wanted to put that right. He 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 makes the point that his son felt really awkward when Chelsea yeah. started scoring goals, and he didn't know where to look when Chelsea started scoring goals. And a, a few people leapt on the tw- Twitter when this piece went out, saying, "Yeah, he celebrated every Chelsea goal." Well, that's not true. Yeah. He didn't. Um, it, Palace means a lot to him, and the fact that he, their little five side. Uh, 3G pitch in the back garden of their, I'm sure, very nice place in Cobham has got advertising hoardings around it, which say Crystal Palace FC um, sums up his affection for the club. I think most, I remember being in the away end and spotting him actually at uh, Sanford Bridge. I think most 
sane Palace fans were happy to see him and give him a little chant. No, I weren't really too fussed about anything else, but it's just the Twitter world we live in where I think these things get picked up. I mean, the thing is, Grace, he obviously was there a long time, seven and a half years, and I think we forget sometimes, and I enjoy reading articles like this because it reminds you that these players are people. If any of us have been in a job for seven and a half years, we will have memories of the people we work with and the place, and it will become sort of part of our life as it is, and clearly it is for him as well. There's a really nice bit right at the start of the article where he says, um, when you're at a club for that length of time, you don't just move on and start again. That connection stays with you. It's a part of who you are, a part of what you are, a part of who you are. I think it's just... There's, I mean, he's been there for so, through so many different spells and different eras of Palace, but it's just important to remember that, you know, the club clearly means as much to him as it as it does to us. And yeah, I'm not quite sure where I'm going with this, um, <laughs> but it was just nice to read, wasn't it? And I think, yeah, players yeah. are people, aren't they? It, yeah, exactly. And I think we're probably all guilty of forgetting that, especially it's easier when you have players like Wilf or Mitchell who have come through the ranks at Palace and you know that they get it but you forget that the ones that do come here maybe later in their career or we have a bit of a habit of getting in the people that have been waifs and strays elsewhere and a lot of them seem to find a place at Palace and to fit in and seem to have a, a really good time like I know um, Scott Dan joined in that was at January 2014 when yeah. I think the other signings were was Tom Ince um, and Joe Ledley that January yeah. wasn't it as a reminder of how just how long ago that actually was and like you say you think of all all the players, the managers that have come and go in that time. He's he's seen a lot and he's been a pretty solid part throughout and he's not the most glamorous and he's not the loudest in terms of you don't hear and see him everywhere. But on that pitch, he always came out and you always felt that he was going to give give it his everything. Um, and it, it is nice to hear how much it meant to him and about those friendships with the likes of Joe Ward and Martin Kelly. You could always tell that they were all all good mates and it's yeah they are just people at the end of the day yeah I always felt Jack I, I mean there was a spell see as Dom says when he was sort of linked with an England call up and I think most Palace fans were adamant he probably should have been called up and I always felt quite safe with sort of Scott down on the pitch and when he's spraying those passes out to Pap Soiree or whoever and you know he was a real Royals Royce of a defender um, but what the bit I liked in the article is when he's talking about and again I think this is a nice little insight into what players are like so I think as fans we remember the big moments, but he's talking about games that stood out that really mattered to him. Punch scoring against Norwich in, in 2016. Wilfs, Wilfs setting up Macca for that last minute equaliser, last minute winner, sorry, against against Watford. He says, uh, the noise when Macca scored the winner that night, the atmosphere at those games, matches where you felt a season's work depended on getting a positive result, will stay with me forever. And that's just interesting getting that little insight into actually the moments and the memories that, that mattered to players uh, as opposed to a fan. I mean, he's been part of the team for some absolutely monumental moments. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad they stick with him because they'll stick with us for a very long time. So it's nice that the players do take that on board and it's part of their memories even after they've left the club. Um, and he's a, such an important figure for Palace over the last, uh, you know, eight, nine years since promotion. And, and for me, his signing, um, along with Joe Ledley, uh, in that January window, kind of signalled the increase in quality in the playing staff. That that really sense, or sorry, struck me as a as a really sensible signing. Um, we didn't pay a lot for him, mate. I think Dom quotes two and a half million in the in the article, um, which, given the the output from that signing, is is an incredible deal. I'm having trouble recording JD, so I might have a bit of an issue here. But my okay. the iPad just keeps cancelling. So hang on, sorry. 
Um, no problem. Um, so, yeah, in, in terms of his signing, him and Joe Nedleaf, I think probably a combined five million is is going to prove a really good investment given what came after. So he, he that, that was considerably less than that, Jack. That what, was, was considerably it? Joe, less Joe Nedley. Nedley did it. They lived about three hundred grand. Yeah, well, I, I thought that. I, when he retired a couple of weeks ago, I saw that it was mentioned around two and a half million. But I seem to remember us getting him dirt cheap because he was out of contract really the cheap. following summer. So, I mean, even less. Yeah. They say maybe three, three and a half million for the for the pair of them um, is is just great business. Um, but Scott Dan, as as Dom says in the article, he's just touched on there. Very close to an England call up. Um, I think he probably suffered from big club bias, given that the likes of Chris Smalling and Phil Jones appeared in. So many squads at that spell, and I think Scott Dan's performances were probably um, better quality than both of them at that time. So um, it's uh, it's the career at Palace, which I think all Palace fans will will lord. And I'm glad he's had the chance to sit down with Dom and, and talk about his time at Palace because, yeah, while he hasn't had the chance to say goodbye to us, we haven't had the chance to say goodbye to him, and I'm sure that the goodbye would have been a very very warm one. Um, I found it really interesting in in Dom's article where he talks about the choice he had that January and the influence of Pulis. I know. Praising Tony Pulis isn't especially on brand for Palace fans, but he managed to get some very important signings over the line at that time. And and, and Scott talks about the options of having both Fulham and Norwich um, as alternatives to Palace, but Palace drawing him in with the kind of characters that are at the club already and Pulis himself. So, yeah, re- really interesting article um, and uh, just lovely to, to hear from a player talk about the club that we talk about the club as fans. And I remember him signing Dom actually that and and uh, that January. And I think he'd already been relegated from the top flight twice with Blackburn and Birmingham. I, I might be wrong with mm. that. And so there was a there was half jokingly a bit of a oh, is Scott Dan you know sort of cursed and, and actually is this a terrible terrible idea? Um, and obviously he turned out to be fantastic for us. And I think as well, and this comes up in the article that it probably was this summer the right time to part ways. If you look at what we've done in terms of signings at centre back since and the sort of revolution we've had. It probably was the right time for for him to go, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think you know, he accepts that. Sometimes you have to move on. He's doing very, very well for for Reading. He's he's already a bit of a rock in that in that back line at a club with very different types of problems at the moment. What with their points deduction and and now, you know, a, a team that was initially aspiring to get into the playoffs under a transfer embargo and, and struggling against relegation. So um, a different type of challenge for his career, but. But yeah, I, I yeah, I, he's he's always someone that that I appreciated. He, he's quite clued up. Um, I did a piece when with him back at the Guardian um, when he was talking about his investments. He's he's planning for life post football. Um, he's he's invested in some very interesting companies uh, over the years. Uh, a lot of a lot of green companies, a lot of um, green technologies, etc. He's just clued up. And it wasn't a surprise to me that he wanted to express quite eloquently his affection for Crystal Palace. Uh, I, I was blissfully unaware that he'd been at Wembley to watch us go up as a guest. Yeah. Yeah, major uh, coincidence. He'd obviously played against Palace for Blackburn the previous year when we played them off the park, I think, very early on in Holloway's tenure. And then mm. um, and then drew one all towards the end of the season. So he, he sort of knew roughly what he was buying into. But it's just it's just nice to to look back on those that period and and the, the strong characters that we had in the dressing room at that at that point who really helped establish something that we've never seen at this club ever yeah. previously i mean nine years in the top division in a row is 
is amazing and he he helped make that possible and he talks about the new academy visiting the academy and feeling proud that he's sort of helped in his in a yes. small way and actually he's helped in a large way so you know thank you very much uh, scott and uh, so yeah so you can read that article with dom uh, in the athletic and of course much much more and if you go to the athletic.com slash fyp you can get 50 percent off an annual subscription to the athletic uh, right quick break and then questions My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Hello and welcome back to part four of the FYP podcast. Whee! Definitely part four. Uh, and it's question time where we get questions from our listeners in part four of this episode of the FYP podcast. Uh, and this first question comes from Michael. Hello, Michael. Hello, Michael. Uh, Michael says, I'm made up for the Millwall Cafe who have only had to wait eight and a half years to see us next season. Uh, I feel like Michael's been waiting on that joke literally eight and a half years. So I hope you enjoy finally getting to uh, to make that. Yes, this is the FA Cup third round draw. Millwall away, Grace. Uh, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I'm sure sure the Met are absolutely delighted at that draw. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it'll be a good one. It's been been a while since we've played them, given obviously we've gone on to much bigger and better things than they have. Well said, um, Grace, well said. <laughs> so it, it'll be a good it'll be a good one. Um especially just I saw Nathaniel Klein's old tweet popped up on the, <laughs> yeah. the timeline last night. People people don't hang around, do they? Um it's wonderful South London is ours tweet. So hopefully hopefully we can just show them again that South London is still ours. A nice fit of sort of coming full circle because he obviously wasn't a palace player when we last played them and obviously now he is again, having sort of come back home. Um, Dom, this is going to show my complete Premier League bias, but I'm I'm going to guess that Millwall are in the Championship. Is that right? <laughs> and how are they doing? Are they good? Are they bad? Like, well, as an actual setting aside the you know the rivalry, as an actual third round tie, uh, this has got to be one that Palace target win surely. This is Jim. We haven't scored a goal in the cup competition <laughs> for a decade. <laughs> This is new beginnings, new beginnings, stuff. <laughs> We're going to win the cup, aren't we, Dom? 
Yeah, uh, yeah, we're gonna win. I, listen, how, <laughs> uh, what are Millwall? Oh, I'm gonna Google Millwall. I'm Millwall are four points off the playoffs in in the championship. Right, okay, so they're doing okay. They're 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 pretty solid, um, to be honest, um, and, and and doing you know fairly well again uh, under Gary Rowett. They tend to, I think, they tend to do better in the second half of the seasons than first half of the season. So they'll be quite encouraged as to to where it's all going with them. I was just trying to, I know we, we won there the season before we were promoted on New Year's Eve, mm. 2011. 2011. Name the scorer. Oh. Did you say that as well, Jack? Name, name the scorer, Jim, or, or, or Grace. Come on, name the scorer. A former Millwall player scored for Palace in that game. Okay. Um, but why do you think about that? Um, but, but beyond that, we haven't got a great record there, have we? Let's, let's be honest. We haven't. You have to go back to 1996, the last time we won prior to that. So it's it's. I think it's really tricky. I, I was a fan in, in the ground that that nil nil yeah. towards the end of the season that got us a guaranteed as a player, almost guaranteed as a player. It stopped, it stopped the rock. It, it did stop the rock. It stopped the rock. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I think it's. I think it's really tricky. And when you chuck in the fact that they're playing the Palace will play away at Brighton a few days later, that's that's two fairly tasty away trips in a week in early January. So. Um, it's a type of game, type of tie that will get the juices flowing, and we probably need that after after the the, the Christmas period and the sort of rush of games. Um, it, so it's it's a nice to have an appealing cup tie to look forward to, but it, it would be good to score a goal. <laughs> it's a sort of cup tie that I think fans often ask for and are desperate for yeah. that, or, or Brighton or someone like that, or Charlton. Um, the only player that's coming to mind is James Vaughan, but I don't, he didn't play for uh, Millwall, did he? Grace, you got any suggestions? Say and I can't remember if I've mixed up who he played for or not, but Jermaine Easter. Yeah, yeah. Great shout. Very good. He moved Great to shout. Millwall from us. God, yeah. God, I just I don't know what. Uh, God, I'd forgotten about him. Bumped into him in Sainsbury's <laughs> in Cardiff once, and that's about as exciting as it got. <laughs> Probably about as much movement in that aisle as he gave in the yeah. penalty area. Jermaine <laughs> oh. <laughs> Easter. Um, Jack, obviously, it's going to... I mean, Grace sort of joked about the Met earlier. Um, obviously, it is going to be a, an interesting one in terms of the fans. I'm hoping it doesn't get moved because they, the, the authorities have moved the Brighton game to Friday night, uh, which is coming up soon, which is a terrible decision. Hopefully, this one won't, but it's, it's definitely going to be after eight and a half years. Um, it's, and, you know, we touched on last week, to get serious for a second... The sort of some of the infighting that's happening at Palace, and and hopefully that is just a bit of a weird thing that's going to get worked out. But I, I'm slightly worried it might end up being a bit of a spicy occasion. You'd think if it would be moved for TV. I actually I I know our draw obviously, but I don't know what the rest of the draws like. So I don't know whether Millwall versus Palace is is a contender for for TV coverage. And I know they sometimes move um, non televised games for for other reasons too. But you'd think this might be a contender for a lunchtime kickoff, televised or not. You think that might that might uh, reduce the risk of, of, of any ag. Um, so we'll, we'll see what, what comes out. I think the, the televised games are normally released fairly quickly after the draw, so um, we'll have some idea. But, yeah, it, it, it's been a while since we've been there. Um, both sets of fans will, will certainly be um, up for it, I think is the technical term. And uh, it'll be an interesting event. Uh, still to determine whether I wish to partake myself. Um, but haven't been there for a very, very long time. So 
the uh, nostalgia of going back to plucky old Millwall's ground, JD. Uh, I think Ryman South or something like that. There they're playing in these days. I think. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. they, I mean, to, to kind of confirm Dom's point, they're actually a very impressive side under Gary Rowett, um, which again isn't particularly on brand for me to say uh, as a Palace fan. But um, yeah, Gary Rowett's a very good Championship manager and um, and has them playing well. And in the cup, I think they actually have a fairly good record against top flight opposition, particularly at the Den. Um, seem to remember them uh, seeing Everton off a couple of years ago. Uh, got very close to beating Brighton a couple of years ago, having got to the quarterfinal. So um, it, it will not be a, a very easy game. And given our fixture congestion, and presumably theirs in the Championship, you think both managers will be tempted to, to make lots of changes. But given the, uh, the local derby element of it, whether the kind of internal pressures of both clubs mean that it should be a pretty pretty good game with, with both teams putting out as close to first 11s as possible but um, I guess a lot uh, will happen between now and then which will influence Vieira's decision. If we're in good form we might not want to change a winning team but if he's looking for a result to perhaps you know uh, kind of get our season kick started again he might be looking at a cup game and, and, and the big guns might be out at the new den um, but we'll see yeah very very interesting draw and um, makes a difference from Wolves away or Southampton away yeah. doesn't it so we'll, we'll take it. Yeah. You know who will definitely play, don't you, in this game at Millwall? Uh, Jermaine Easter? His name, not Jermaine Easter. <laughs> his name starts with a W and ends with an L Hughes. Uh, so I'm sure he'll always well, certainly... Until, until you play the jingle, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work on that over Christmas. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. And um, we'll get... Uh, yeah, it would. I think the Christmas period will determine what sort of team Vieira puts out. But um, yeah, it'll be very interesting I, I mentioned, to see JD, I mentioned loyalty points up. earlier at the start of the pod. And... Um, I think there'd be lots of fans looking for both this game and the Brighton game, which is a few days after. So I'm sure loyalty points will be top of the uh, the Santa wish list for most Palace fans this Christmas. Absolutely. It's uh, great wow. to have a, a proper mouth-watering third-round mm-hmm. tie, yeah. though, isn't it? It's, yeah. I mean, it's a really good game, though. It, it really, cause we've had, we have had a, a sequence of not especially exciting ones. And if yeah. you're going to be drawn against a lower league side, it's, it's, it makes more for the cup game if it's away. I know we had Derby at home a few years ago, but that was such a terrible event that um, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. really stick in the memory so yeah it, you're right was that when Luca Luca got so bored by the game he headbutted someone to try yeah, and liven just, it up yeah that's the one that's the one <laughs> well uh, we'll see what happens uh yeah I can't Let's, comment I can't uh, comment on Luca JD I think me writing off his entire career last weekend is uh <laughs> is, is probably enough of the anti-Luca uh brigade well, that's all they want at the moment but um yeah, that that was it. I think was it possibly uh, for for trivia out there the first VAR red card I think in English football or something along those lines. So yeah, and we also I think had the first VAR goal, which I think was down at Brighton a couple of years. Oh, yeah. Glenn also, Murray also scored in the cup in the FA Cup. Yeah, yeah. So we do like VAR, don't we? Um, right. That is going to be our only question this week. Um, so we're going to move on in a minute and obviously preview this weekend's game, uh, which is against Everton. Phil Swift here for new Flex Super Glue. What's truly amazing is that our Flex Super Glue is so strong that just one drop virtually welds itself to the surface and can lift over three tons. Forget those old Super Glues, get the one that's new Flex Super Glue. Go to flexsealproducts.com forward slash three ton lift to learn more about how one drop lifted three tons. For demonstration purposes only. 
Welcome back to part five, definitely part five, of this week's Five Year Plan podcast. It's our preview section. Uh, Palace at home to Everton on Sunday, late afternoon, 4.30 kickoff. Um, It's become a big game after three defeats on the bounce, of course, against a team who have just got a big win against Arsenal. So that's bad timing for us. Um, Two questions we've had this week from uh, Mihai Petrascu. Hello, Hello, Mihai. And Big Al Palace, who's become a bit of a regular with his questions. Hello, Hello Big, Big Al. Al. Uh, I'm going to go to Jack for this as our sort of resident um, Everton expert. Um, both questions centre on the same uh, topic, uh, which, of course, is Andros Townsend returning. Another player who left this summer, of course, didn't get to say goodbye uh, returning to Palace. Uh, Big Al says, I hope and expect he'll get a good reception. Should we applause in the 10th minute and have a rendition of Starman? That might be pushing it a little bit out. I think an applause when he when his name's read out is probably enough. Uh, Mihai says, how much do we miss Townsend this season, both from an attacking player point of view and set-piece taker, Jack? Um, yeah, I think there's probably elements of Andrus's game that we, um, we, we probably do miss. Um, but I think it was right, you know, we, we spoke to Troy, um, his, his father, uh, a, a few weeks ago, uh, both during the record and, and, and outside of it as well, and... It struck me, talking to Troy, that it was the right time for Andros and the right move. If, if this, perhaps if this move hadn't been um, available to him and, and Rafa and, and Andros's previous history didn't exist and the move to Everton wouldn't have come about, it might have been harder for Andros to, 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 to move away from Palace and, and, and the uh, kind of parting of the ways would have been harder for him to take. But I think it's such a, a great move for Andros to, to be playing for a you know, club such as Everton, even with the, the trials and tribulations going on at, at, at Goodison at the moment, um, that it, it was probably easier for him to take the parting of the ways. However, we also talked about um, with Troy that he didn't have a chance to say goodbye. So Sunday does present the opportunity for for us to um, you know, say goodbye to Andros and for Andros, if he wishes to, to, to engage with the fans, perhaps with a one of those embarrassing kind of hands up to the fans as, as he comes on the pitch or something like that. You know, I think maybe the song in the 10th minute might be a little bit overkill, but... Um, He's a, he was a, a very good servant for us and did a lot of good things for Palace. Um, but I think it's fair to say he's probably uh, enjoying the more attacking elements of his game a little bit more at Goodison than, than he did under under Roy. But he did some you know really important work for Palace. And not only for himself, but you saw the development of Aaron Wan-Bissaka um, playing right back with Andros in front of him. And that was a big factor, in, I, I feel, in, in, in Aaron's development at right back. Um, probably could do with with Andros signing for United to maybe get back in the United side for 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 him. But I I, I have a lot of time for Andros as a, as a Palace player, and um, I, I hope he does get uh, a warm welcome back on uh, on Sunday. Just hope he doesn't put one of his uh, textbook thirty odd screamers in the top corner. That's all I. I hope we're, we're I hope we're, I hope we can politely clap him off the pitch after a Palace two 0 win or something like that. That would be the best of both worlds, I think. Yeah, I think we've I think we all appreciate. Uh, what Andos did for us and uh, got a lot of time for him and actually quite enjoying his sort of former Everton, obviously not regarding this Sunday. Um, obviously, great after uh, Ben Godfrey smashes in a 35-yarder and then Andros does. <laughs> We've obviously got two goals to claw it back from. The other guy, actually, I'm, I'm a bit worried about is another player, weirdly, with a sort of um, slight Palace link is Damari Gray, who, who reportedly we had the option to sign in the summer and didn't go for, who is a really good form at the moment for Everton, scored a fantastic goal against Arsenal as well. I, I think he might be someone... Uh, as well that could potentially cause Palace a few problems. Yeah, he's someone we're certainly going to have to be keeping a close close eye on. Good bit of um, business by Everton in the summer. I think it was just a, a couple of million they paid for him, wasn't it? Um, mm. 
and then going out and scoring goals like he did did last night, which everyone knows he's he's capable of. So yeah, Everton have shown that they have still got still got that threat, especially now they've got Richarlison back in as well. Um, they obviously went through a bit of a rocky period a few games where it just didn't didn't seem to happen for them but before that they had been scoring quite a few and with different goal scorers um so they are a threat across the pitch and um, so yeah we'll have, have to be on our game and hopefully andros doesn't pop up with any of his worldies or even a complete miss kick just nothing like jack says if we can politely clap him off at the end and give him maybe one more rendition of Starman, then that suits me yeah, just that, fine. that's the right time for Starman as he <laughs> Trucking yeah, off yeah, the dressing yeah. room soaked after yeah. being beaten. That would be great. That's a, a proper yeah. tribute. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, he seemed like such a polite lad. He probably still would applaud that as well. Um, so let's hope that's a scenario. Dom, I was slightly worried watching the Arsenal game last night that um, we might be facing our third sort of quote-unquote new manager of the season because I know that Rafa's been under big pressure there and um, they did struggle against Arsenal last night and then obviously they were very unlucky with a few um, uh, VAR decisions. Got back into it. But I thought if they lost last night, they might potentially be getting rid of Rafa and then we'd after Ralph and Gerard's first away game we'd be seeing another new manager bounce as it is Rafa is still there but they're going to be needing a result in this as much as we are but as we said earlier those three defa- defeats on the spin have have made this quite a big game for us yeah look it's I, I think actually it's still really awkward I think they'll that was such a fillet for them to to come from behind with the two goals in the last 10 minutes um and and Gray being in, so integral with both of them, um, they have got some of these injured players coming back in. That's that was the sort of root cause of their the eight match winless streak they were they they've been enduring prior to to Monday night. Uh, I think it's a shame that Decore is is back in midfield and looking a bit more himself because mm-hmm. he is a handful. Um, Alan also played well on on Monday. I'm, I'm just hoping that this sounds dreadful now, but I'm hoping that Dominic Calvert Lewin isn't isn't close this weekend because that's when you put all their in, their walking wounded back into their lineup that that that's not a bad team and that that explains why they started the season so well uh, under Benitez after after a summer with hardly any investment whatsoever. Um, it's a bonus for Palace that Yerry Mina pulled up with a recurrence of a hamstring problem. I presume that means that he will be ruled out the weekend. Um, I think if Mason Holgate is uh, one of their centre-halves and Benteke might get a bit of joy from him in the air, he'd like to hope so anyway. Um, but we just don't we don't beat Everton at home very often. Um, I think it's once in the Premier League. Do we not? Is that Since right? 1989, I think we've beaten them oh once at home. You've got all the depressing stats today. Well, it's it's just it's a difficult one. It's a difficult game. It always is. They seem to raise it, and we we tend not to time our ma- our meetings with them. Not very. We don't time them very well. It and, was my um, my, oh. my first ever Palace game. The the the, the one the Palace victory that that Don talks about. Name the scorer, Jim. Name the scorer, Grace. Come on. 1994. Oh, oh, I word. wasn't even born. That's not an excuse. That's not an excuse. <laughs> I'd been alive 10 years, uh, making me feel very old. In 1994, so Premier League, I'm guessing, uh, someone like um, Chris Armstrong. No, his strike partner. Uh, who is his strike partner? That One of our big money so. signings that summer. Signed from Berry. Currently director of football. Yeah, currently director of football at a club in the... Conference in the in National League. I can't it's not Millwall. It's not Millwall, JD, the club in the conference. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I can't remember. I can't remember. It's Andy Priest. Andy Priest. There you go. Andy Priest. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is, in fact, actually, I'm just looking at the head-to-head, and um, we haven't. We've only beaten them twice in the Premier League in our most recent stint, both away, both three-two. We yeah. actually haven't beaten them. We, we, we haven't. No, it's not. It's not great, and we've had a couple of nil-nils with them. But um, yeah, they they with a fully fit first eleven, they're right, a very right. good side. Um, but they they have struggled with injuries. But I, I was thinking last night when I saw Mina back. And I actually thought maybe Edward might get a run out through the middle because Keane and Mina are better in the air than they are on the ground. But as Don said, if, if Holgate is going to start, then it might be that, that Benteke gets some joy out of him. So, yeah, decision for Vieira to make there. Um, but, you know, good win for them last night, but they're not in a good place. And, and if Palace start well and, you know, say get the first goal, <clears throat> the away end will not be um, shy of letting their, their feelings know. There's a lot of, of cross Evertonians at the moment with the way the the club's being run, and um, unfortunately for the players on the pitch, that's, that's being shown at them, but the, the, the bigger anger is at, is at the director's box and, and the like of Bill Kenwright and Marcel Brands has fallen on his sword as director of football this week, so they're in, they're in a period of transition, and it's um, it's not a happy place at the moment, Goodison Park, um, but last night's win will do them some, some good, and they'll probably come into Palace in a better frame of mind than they would have done if that had not happened last night. Uh, to be fair, four, four of the last six home games have been draws. I, yeah, a lot, of, a couple of nil nils and two twos. So um, maybe that's what it will be. I'll take that. I'll take a. I'll take a two two with an Andros banger. What am I talking about? I want to win. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's the end of the podcast. That's sorry. I just I've been influenced by that terrible run. I didn't realize it was that bad. Um, anyway, we'll see what happens. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining me this week. Grace, great to have you back on. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, Jack, good to see you, mate. Thanks, JD. And uh, Dom, always good to have you on. Thanks for having me, Jay. Uh, and thank you to our patrons for their support. Of course, you can join our patron at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast and our public slash legacy fans. We love you as well. So thank you for listening. We're back next week to review that Everton game. And of course, our patrons will get a post-match pod at the weekend uh, from, uh, well, definitely Celsius and Rob. Possibly you, Dom. Possibly me. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, but anyway, uh, enjoy the rest of your week and we'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Podcast Network.